Hey, it's Nathan, and this is day 19 of the Bible in 90 Days. We're in Judges 16 through 1 Samuel 2. That means today's reading brings us to the end of the Judges through the beautiful book of Ruth and into 1 Samuel. Chapter 16 of Judges brings us to the end of the Samson saga with the story of Delilah. The story begins with Samson trapped in a city, escaping in the middle of the night by simply carrying off the city gates. He next falls in love with a beautiful woman, Delilah. She's birthed, excuse me, she's bribed by the locals to find out what makes Samson so strong. After several attempts, the truth comes out. He's, he can't cut his hair. After a barber shaves his head, he's captured by the Philistines, his eyes are gouged out, and he's put to work turning a millstone in prison. Samson's final act when his hair has regrown is to destroy thousands who have gathered to party, including the Philistine lords. A servant takes him to the two central pillars of the crowded temple where he prays, and I quote, Sovereign Lord, remember me. Please, God, strengthen me just once more and let me with one blow get revenge on the Philistines for my two eyes. After this, he dislodges the two central pillars in a massive push, bringing the temple down on himself and the party goers, thus killing more in his death than in his life. He's buried in the tomb of his father after having led Israel for 20 years. Chapter 17 tells the sad story of a man. And I quote Micah from the hill country of Ephraim. He confesses that he's stolen some silver, tells his mom this. When he returns it to his mother, she uses some of it to pay a silversmith to make an idol for them. In the middle of the chapter are these words. Now this man Micah had a shrine, and he made an ephod and some household gods and installed one of his sons as his priest. In those days, Israel had no king. Everyone did as they saw fit. He later hires a Levite to be a priest in place of his son. Chapter 18 finds the Danites exploring Ephraimite territory. And in the process, discovering Micah, his shrine with its gods, and Ephod along with a Levitical priest. When the Danites return later for battle to conquer some of the cities they had discovered, they also take Micah's Levite, Ephod, and gods. The Danites complete their quest, attacking and resettling the peaceable town of Laish. Chapter 19 tells the heart-sickening story of a man who finds himself and his concubine spending the night in the Benjamite town of Gibeah. This is a sick story, but it's in the text. During the night, a mob of men demand to be able to rape the male traveler. To appease them, they are given the concubine. Again, a horrible story. In the morning, she's discovered dead on the porch. The man is so incensed at what has happened that he sends a message. The severed pieces of his concubine to all Israel calling for justice. Hard story. Chapter 20 continues the story, reporting that 400,000 men assemble to bring revenge. In the ensuing conflict, some 40,000 Israelites are killed by the Benjamites in the first two days of fighting. However, the tide turns on the third day, and some 25,000 Benjamites are killed that day, only 600 men escaping. Chapter 21 includes these words. Today, one tribe is cut off from Israel. 
The chapter tells the story of how the Israelites provide wives for those 600, not all of the 600 men, but many of the 600 Benjamites who'd escaped death. Judges ends with these words. In those days, Israel had no king. Everyone did as they saw fit. And that's the story of the judges. If you followed much of it, you found it's quite brutal. Now we get a break from the brutality in the beautiful story of Ruth. It's a book of only four chapters, and I'm telling you, you need to take the time to read all four chapters of Ruth, or of course, you can listen to them. And I'm going to remind you of this at the end, because listen, Ruth is an exceptional book, and uh, I think this brief review will affirm that. Ruth is a, is, is a respite again from the dark, tragic history of Israel recounted in the Judges. It focuses on two characters, a Hebrew woman, Naomi, who becomes widowed in the story, and her devoted Moabite daughter-in-law, Ruth, who becomes a devout believer in the Hebrew God. It's helpful to remember the twisted relationship that the Israelites have with the Moabite people. You may remember the story of Balak, a one-time king of Moab who caused the Israelites plenty of trouble as they neared the border of Canaan. You might also remember that uh, under Eglon, a Moabite king, they oppressed Israel for 18 years. Israel also fell in love with the gods of Moab and served them, turning their back on the true God. So Ruth's story provides this powerful reverse narrative. During a time of great difficulty for the Hebrews and a time when they are unfaithful to God, preferring the pagan gods, Ruth, a pagan herself, falls in love with the God of the Hebrews and abandons her pagan gods for this God of the Hebrews, choosing to associate with the Hebrews rather than stay with her people. This same Ruth will herself give birth to King David's grandfather, a connection that ultimately interweaves her life with the story of Jesus, the Messiah, yet many centuries in the future. And again, I told you, I'd remind you, you need to read the book of Ruth, every single one of its four chapters. So let's review. Ruth chapter one tells the story of Naomi, her husband and two sons moving to Moab because of a famine in Judah that affected their hometown of Bethlehem. Her husband dies. Then her sons marry local Moabite women. Then both of those sons die, leaving her a widow, also childless. She begins the return trip to Judah, telling her daughters-in-law, Go back, each of you, to your mother's house. May the Lord show you kindness as you have shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. The young ladies, Ruth and Orpah, protest. But then, after some tears, Orpah heads home. Ruth, however, refuses, telling Naomi, Don't urge me, and I quote, to leave you or turn back from you. Where you go, I will go, and where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. So the two women continue the journey together. Upon reaching her native town of Bethlehem, Naomi changes her name to Mara, which means bitter. Chapter 2 of Ruth tells a story about Ruth providing for her and her mother-in-law by gleaning in a local field. 
Turns out that she meets Boaz in the process, who happens to be a close relative, one of the family's guardian redeemers. There's even a bit of romance in the story. Again, you've got to read or listen to the book of Ruth. A guardian redeemer, by the way, is a male relative who was responsible to care for the welfare of the family in the event of tragic loss. Ruth chapter 3 continues the romance of Ruth and Boaz, including Boaz's acceptance of Ruth's request to redeem her. With one catch, he's not actually the closest living kin. And that's the subject of the next chapter. Chapter 4 of Ruth, the last chapter of this little book, tells of Boaz gathering the officials at the city gate to work out the legalities of redemption. He informs the nearest of kin that Naomi's estate is in need of redemption. And this nearest of kin quickly commits to redeeming it until he finds out that Ruth, the Moabite, is part of the package. At this news, this nearest of kin redeemer says, Then I cannot redeem it, and I'm quoting, Because I might endanger my own estate. You redeem it yourself. I cannot do it. A brief ceremony follows, and Boaz finds himself redeemer of Naomi's land and the happy husband of Ruth. Soon after, Naomi gives birth to Obed, whose grandson will be King David. At Obed's birth, Naomi's friends were elated and said, and I quote, Praise be to the Lord, who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons, has given him birth. And that's Ruth. But we're not done yet. Today's reading takes us into 1 Samuel. The two books of Samuel, known commonly as 1 and 2 Samuel, take the reader from the time of the judges, beginning with the story of the last judge, Samuel, who's also a prophet, and continuing through Israel's transition to monarchy, and then covering nearly the entire story of Israel's first two kings, Saul and David. We begin today with 1 Samuel chapter 1 and chapter 2. Here's chapter 1. It finds Elkanah an Ephraimite in the midst of an unhappy marriage to two women. His favorite wife, Hannah, is childless, and the jealous wife, Penina, feels justified in her jealousy because she has children. The story finds the struggling family at Shiloh for the yearly festival, led by desperately corrupt priests, the sons of Eli, Hophni, and Phinehas. In the midst of everything going on, Hannah is childless, brokenhearted, and provoked to tears by Hannah's pestering. She's unable to eat. In desperation, she goes to the temple to pray. Seeing this desperate woman, priest Eli scolds her for being drunk. Not so, my lord, Hannah replied, and I'm quoting, I am a woman who is deeply troubled. I have not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Eli then sends her away in peace, assuring her that her prayer will be answered. Hannah soon becomes pregnant and gives birth to a boy, naming him Samuel, because I asked the Lord for him and makes a serious commitment. He will be dedicated to serve the Lord for his whole life. After the child is weaned, he is taken to Eli at the tabernacle. His mother speaks these words to Eli, and I quote, Pardon me, my Lord, as surely as you live, I am the woman who stood here beside you, praying to the Lord. 
So now I give him to the Lord. For his whole life he will be given over to the Lord. Samuel remains behind with priest Eli. Now we're at chapter 2. 1 Samuel chapter 2 begins with Hannah's song of gratitude. Here are the first few lines. My heart rejoices in the Lord. In the Lord my horn is lifted high. My mouth boasts over my enemies, for I delight in your deliverance. There is no one holy like the Lord. There is no one beside you. There is no rock like our God. Following Hannah's song, the chapter recounts the awful truth about Eli's sons. Eli's sons were scoundrel, and I'm quoting, they had no regard for the Lord. Their treachery included stealing from the people's offerings and sleeping with the women at the tabernacle. Meanwhile, And I'm quoting, Samuel was ministering before the Lord, a boy wearing a linen ephod. Each year his mother made him a little robe and took it to him when she went up with her husband to offer the annual sacrifice. Then they would go home, and the Lord was gracious to Hannah. She gave birth to three sons and two daughters. Meanwhile, the boy Samuel grew up in the presence of the Lord. The chapter ends with a stark prophecy regarding Eli and his sons, who would reap the consequences of their raunchy leadership. Speaking to Eli, God through a prophet declared, and I'm quoting, I promised the members of your family would minister before me forever, but now the Lord declares, far be it from me. Those who honor me I will honor, but those who despise me will be disdained. The time is coming when I will cut short your strength and the strength of your priestly house so that no one in it will reach old age. And later these words, I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who will do according to what is in my heart and mind. I will firmly establish his priestly house and they will minister before my anointed one always. And that's the end of today's highlights.